Uh, find 1 Kings 13 as we continue marching through 1 Kings. Uh, obedience counts. No free passes allowed. Obedience counts. If you did not get the handout for tonight, would you raise your hand? You didn't get it? Okay. Good job, ushers. Let's read chapter 13. <clears throat> By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions... I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I've been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. 
While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was left lying on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body lying there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out and found the body lying on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the town, towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to his downfall, uh, to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. A major tax preparation company launched a promotion to draw customers in to use its services by giving walk-in customers the opportunity to participate in a drawing for $1 million. A couple in New Jersey entered their names. They thought no more about it. In fact, when the company representative phoned them at their home in uh, Sewell, New Jersey, to inform them that they had won the million dollars, Glenn and Gloria Sims dismissed it as a prank. The company persisted. They made further contact by mail and by phone, but the couple remained unconvinced. They now thought it was a scam, so they would hang up the phone or throw the notices by mail in the trash. After several weeks, the company made one last attempt. They told the couple that the deadline for accepting their million dollars was drawing near, and if they refused, the story of their refusal would be featured on NBC's Today, uh, Today Show. Well, that got Glenn Sims' attention. A few days later, he appeared on the Today Show to tell how he and his wife had finally believed the news 
and had collected the million dollar prize. The problem had never been with the company or the good faith of its offer, but with their ability to believe their good fortune. From the time this has been going on, he said, H&R Block explained that they wanted a happy ending to all of this. They were ecstatic that we finally accepted the prize. Some good news just seems too good to believe, right? In fact, that's a major problem people have with the gospel, is it not? Uh, for some people, it can be too good of news that one man would die for their sins and through repentance and faith in him alone, they can be eternally forgiven. They just have trouble accepting that. And they still believe they have to do something to earn their salvation. Well, folks, the story in chapter 13 tonight continues to involve a man to whom God had pronounced some incredibly good promises to. God had promised to bless Jeroboam and to bless his kingdom. And if Jeroboam would only follow the Lord in obedience, God would build for him an enduring kingdom. All Jeroboam had to do was believe, believe in the promises of the covenant that God was making with him and act accordingly. But he was a man who would simply not believe God, and so he took matters into his own hands. And last week we saw what he did. He established when he took the ten northern tribes and they broke off from the two southern tribes of Judah and uh, Benjamin, he took these ten northern tribes, and do you remember what he did? He built two altars. He built two altars, false altars, and on at those altars, what did he place there? A golden calf. A golden calf at each one of those altars. Didn't learn his lesson well, I guess, from the story of the Exodus and what Aaron did, you know, with the golden calf. Uh, he was afraid that if people went back down to Jerusalem, to the temple there, their affections would go back to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and they would kill Jeroboam, and they would return along with the southern kingdom to be unified again. And he didn't want that to happen. And so in the northern kingdom, he put one of those altars uh, just right above, about 11 miles north of Jerusalem at Bethel, and then all the way in the north of the northern kingdom at Dan. He wanted to make it convenient for the people in the 10 northern tribes to go to a place of so-called worship and sacrifice. But you remember that wasn't the only sin of Jeroboam. Not only did he uh, promote a false altar and false idols, but he elected a false priesthood. Didn't elect people of the tribe of Levi the way they were supposed to. In fact, he excluded them. And anybody else could become a priest. Folks, all of this was an attempt to try to consolidate his rule and keep everybody satisfied with him. 
and prevent them from going back down to Jerusalem to worship and sacrifice. But it was nothing short of blatant idolatry. Here was a man who wouldn't believe God, and instead he formed and fashioned his own religion. Now tonight we're going to see once again that even though God spoke to him and demanded repentance, he would not change. He continued in his sin. I want you to see first of all tonight, a prophet of God is sent to deliver God's word. A prophet of God is sent to deliver God's word. Verse 1 tells us that God sent a prophet to Jeroboam. Here was a man under commission. He was sent to confront Jeroboam. Now folks, notice that he did not speak to the king. Who did he speak to? He spoke to the altar. Altar, altar. The implication was that by now, the king, Jeroboam, was too dull of hearing to even bother to try to communicate to him. He prophesies that Josiah, the house of David, will sacrifice priests on the altar and burn human bones uh, on the altar. And this exact thing happened 300 years later, and yet God sent a prophet who declared by name the very king who would do this. You may remember that Josiah was a godly king and he ruled during a period of revival in the land. Got a homework assignment for you tonight. 2 Kings 22 and 23. Go home and read both of those chapters. 2 Kings 22 and 23 because those two chapters are going to show the fulfillment of the prophecy given right here at the beginning of chapter 13. It's amazing that 300 years previous to 2 Kings 22 and 23, God raised up a man who would give the prophecy that would be fulfilled, that Josiah would become king and do everything that this prophet in chapter 13 is saying would happen. He even, again, even named Josiah. It's amazing that God would be that specific with prophecy, but folks, that shouldn't surprise us at all because after all, history is his story. God's able to write a history of man thousands of years in advance. I think of the book of Daniel. He did the same thing. He prophesied to Daniel that there would be the Babylonian kingdom and then after the Babylonian kingdom would be the Medo-Persian kingdom and then after that kingdom would be the Greeks and then after the Greeks there would be the Romans. God prophesied to Daniel uh, all of those specifics. So again, it shouldn't surprise us at all that God is able to do that. You may recall in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah even talks about, you know, before they were even carried into Babylonian exile, God said the Medo-Persians would defeat the Babylonians and Cyrus hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of time named Cyrus as the king 
who had issued the decree that the Jews could go back home and rebuild their land. So it shouldn't surprise us that God can give prophecies. Again, history is his story. Now, to confirm his word that he says here in chapter 13, God gave a sign. Verse 4 says, When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Folks, I want you to think a moment about this particular prophet right here. The message that a prophet was called upon to deliver was oftentimes a very difficult message to preach. But what would the true prophets do? They would give the word of the Lord. They would be faithful to do it even at the cost of their own lives. Is there any New Testament application of all this? Sure there is. Turn to 2 Timothy 4 for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 4. there beginning in verse 1. 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God. Here, here's Paul talking to Timothy. And remember, Paul is in jail as he's writing 2 Timothy. And Paul knows that this time he's not going to be rescued. He's not going to be delivered. He knows that this time he's going he's to die for being a missionary preaching the good news. And so he's passing the baton to Timothy, and he says in chapter 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That is, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For, notice this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So even in the midst of difficult times, what's Timothy to do? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. A man of God is never called upon just to speak what he wants to speak or what the people want to hear. This guy right here in chapter 13, he delivered a prophecy and then God gave a sign authenticating the prophecy. Folks, this is far different than somebody saying God sent me when God didn't send them. 
I get so tired today of here. You can hear some of these people, wealth preachers on prosperity preachers on TV. Last night I was going to bed, and God told me to tell you today to give that offering or whatever. And they're just flippant with it. God told them, told them to do this or that. That's not the way God speaks to us today. He speaks through His Word, and they'll almost get flippant about it. I, I told you on that one occasion, John MacArthur has a book uh, on, on this, some of what goes on. He talks about some of the ridiculous things that happen, about how one of these preachers said he was sitting down watching reruns of La, Laverne and Shirley, and God came into his den and sat down with him and started watching episodes of Laverne and Shirley and laughing. I mean, give me a break. Just ridiculous stuff that some people will say that God appeared to them and did it. And, and folks, like I say it, it gets to the point of the absurd sometimes. But here the prophet said, here is what God said. And now since you don't want to hear it, God's going to give you proof that He said it. And that's what God does. Well, secondly, I want you to see in verses 4 and 5, God's Word is rejected. And there's an attempt to attack the messenger. Verses 4 and 5 again that we just read. Notice that when confronted with the Word of God, the king wanted to do what? Wanted to kill the prophet. He didn't like the prophet speaking against his false religious system at all. Have you ever noticed you challenge somebody's religion or their practice and boy, they'll get offended. If you confront somebody who is believing something false and you try to talk to them about that, oh boy, you, you better watch out. They'll turn on you. Well, the prophet has challenged Jeroboam's fake and faulty religious system. And now Jeroboam, in response, is ready to cook him up some prophet stew. I tell you what, you've really got to admire God's true prophets in the Old Testament. You've got to admire them. I mean, they were unmoved in the face of threats. I think of Micaiah in chapter... We're going to come across a man named Micaiah in chapter 22. Because Ahab is getting Jehoshaphat to go into battle along with him against a common enemy. And Jehoshaphat's going to say, let's hear from the prophets on this, see what they have to say, whether or not this is of the Lord, whether we ought to join together and go into war or not. And so Ahab gets false prophets, and these false prophets just come and tell Ahab and Jehoshaphat what, what the kings want to hear. And Jehoshaphat's thinking, well, something's not right here, what these guys are saying. And he asked Ahab, is there not a true prophet around here in the land? And you remember what Ahab said? 
Ahab said, yeah, there's one Micaiah, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything nice about me. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat says, go get him. And Micaiah comes up and tells him, you know, Ahab, you're, you're going to die in this, in this battle. You're going to die. And you remember what happens then, right? I mean, he puts on all these guards, tries to disguise himself, goes into battle. The enemy's chasing Jehoshaphat. He's like, I'm not him. I'm not the guy you're after. And they turn and shoot an arrow at Ahab, and it goes into one place where he's not protected and kills him. In perfect fulfillment of prophecy that had been said against Ahab. But Ahab didn't want to hear what Micaiah had to say. But you know, we need more men of God like Micaiah, right? And like this guy right here who will speak the truth regardless. Well, again, Jeroboam's ready to take his head off. He stretches out his hand toward the prophet to, and says, seize him. And at that moment, he was stricken with paralysis and his hand withers. Don't you know that must have been a sight to say? <laughs> But folks, here's a case in point. Here's a case in point. Why do we think everybody is going to listen to us? You know, Jeroboam didn't want to listen to this guy. Come to the New Testament, you know, we're coming up on Easter. Finally, they're yelling out, crucifying, crucifying. They didn't listen to Jesus. Uh, on one occasion, even before the crucifixion, you remember that occasion in Luke chapter 4? They're ready to throw him over a cliff. And then in the parable of the soils, he talked about some seed falls on hard ground. There's not, they're not going to listen. Don't ever delude yourself into thinking that everybody is going to receive what you have to say as you go sharing the gospel with people. Now we share it anyway because some will believe. But don't expect that everybody's going to believe. I remember 30 years ago, an evangelist came to Gastonian. They're at a baseball stadium near 85 and 321. He's preaching. He's preaching a hard message. I'll never forget that. I was getting ready to go to Parkwood, my previous church, and went to a crusade that night. They were one of the sponsors of it. The preacher was preaching hard. And this one lady got up and started yelling at that evangelist and just telling him off, and she stormed down. I think of Dr. Ross Rhodes. He's passed away now. Calvary, big Calvary out on 51 in Charlotte, huge Calvary. Uh, when they were at their old location, he's preaching a sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew, and he came to that chapter that talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. A neighbor gave me the tapes. I could hear it all. You can hear it all on tape. He gave me the tape to listen to. This woman jumps up in the middle of the congregation and says, You're so critical! And marches out. And Dr. Ross Rhodes said, Well, bless your heart, ma'am. I'll let you preach next Sunday. And he kept, and he kept right on preaching. He didn't miss a beat. We've never been promised 
that everybody is going to like our message. Don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God's Word. Now, if you're Joel Osteen and you refuse to talk about sin and you say you just want to encourage everybody and make everybody feel good as they leave, you know, you might make friends of everybody. But if you're preaching the whole counsel of God, you might start a riot. The Apostle Paul started a riot by preaching the Word. Now, folks, don't misunderstand. We don't try to make God's Word an offense. I don't sit in my study all week long and say, now, now, how can I really tick everybody off this coming Sunday? <laughs> but the Bible says the gospel is going to be an offense to some. Now, thirdly, I want you to see the king attempts to compromise the message and the messenger. Beginning there in verse 6. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Well, the miracle has gotten the king's attention. Now, as we'll see in a minute, it didn't change him. It didn't change Jeroboam, but for a moment, it's at least gotten his attention. He humbles himself before this prophet who prays for the king. God graciously heals the king, heals uh, Jeroboam. Now, now, folks, think of the mercy of God in that. God knew Jeroboam was a phony. He was an idolatrous man. And yet, and yet God healed him. God healed Jeroboam in spite of Jeroboam being Jeroboam. Uh, you, you know, there's no way Jeroboam could ever stand before God on Judgment Day and claim any kind of excuses. No way he could do that. Now, what happens here in these verses at first glance seems to be a kind gesture. You've prayed for me. God has heard your prayer. God has healed you. Please come home with me. I want to be nice to you. And that may seem to you on first read that that's what's going on. But commentators agree that's not what's going on. He's trying to sweet talk God's man. He's too afraid to confront him. Uh, he, he's just seen what, what happens there. You know, so he wants to wine and dine God's man. Because you see, eating together in the east was a sign of acceptance and fellowship. The king is recognizing this is a prophet of God. He wants to get him on his good side and get him get this prophet to try to change his mind. I, I guess he thinks that the prophet himself can reverse everything that he's just prophesied. 
as though it was the prophet's message and the prophet could just change his message if the king buddied up to him. That's how Jeroboam's thinking. But the message wasn't Jeroboam, it wasn't the prophet's, it was God's. The prophet can't just change his mind. You know, though, there, there are probably too many men of God today that are seduced into being quiet or not stepping on toes. I've got a buddy in ministry in South Carolina. And there, there's an industry that's big in South Carolina. It's really gotten out of hand, and there's a lot of money in it. Uh, anyway, I won't go into detail what it is. It's nothing, nothing like it's not prostitution or gambling, but there's a there's a troubling industry there, and uh, the South Carolina Baptist state convention decided they needed to be a moral voice and try to do something against this particular industry. And this friend of mine was on one of the committees to meet with people and try to get something done against it. And I'll never forget what he told me one time. He said, Scott, I was sitting in this meeting down in Columbia and we were, we were debating on how we as a Baptist state convention were going to help how we were going to try to confront this industry and help people and do something about it to correct it. And he said, as we were sitting down, the door opens up and a huge name in South Carolina, a well-known Baptist preacher in South Carolina, voice of notoriety. He walks in, sits down with the committee and basically tries to dress them down and tell them not to do anything with this industry and blah, 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 and how they're thinking wrong about it and all that. Well, come to find out, apparently, that preacher had a lot of lobbyists and politicians and business people involved in that type of industry that they were trying to confront. He had a lot of people, powerful people in his church involved in that and giving a lot of money to the church. And so he's trying to talk this committee who's trying to be salt and light and do something about it. And, and Jim said, I've, I've just never been able to look at that preacher the same way again. Because he was a sellout on that issue. Compromised himself. Well, notice from verses 8 and following, 8 through 10, here's a prophet. He's not going to be bought off by the king. He's not going to be bought off. But what I want you to underscore, because this is, this is going to come into play in just a minute, underscore how he states what he knows his instructions from God are. This true prophet states what he knows his instructions from God are. He was to go straight there, straight back, not eat or drink, go back by another way, don't, don't veer off the path. Don't. Very direct orders from God. So far, so good, right? He knows what he's supposed to do. Well, fourthly, I want you to see a deceptive ploy and a dead prophet. 
want you to notice the ploy. An old prophet gets involved. We're not told what this guy's motive was. And for some reason, this old prophet who confronts this true prophet, the old prophet lies to him. You know, there's definitely some problems with this guy. For, you know, for starters, what's he doing in Bethel himself where all this idolatry is going on? Why hadn't he himself confronted the king? None. And the fact is, he lies to another man of God and uh, that calls his character into question, doesn't it? That this old prophet would lie to this other prophet. That's certainly a flaw, on a, a bad mark on this old prophet's character that he would lie. But notice how the young prophet has stopped under a tree. There might be a subtle uh, hint here. Had he gone straight back home, maybe he wouldn't be stopped under this tree. You know, had he gone, just stayed with it, gone straight home, he wouldn't even have gotten in this situation. You know, it wasn't unheard of after great success, though, for a prophet to be subjected to temptation. Remember in 1 Kings 18, Elijah, after great success from God, confronting Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. Uh, in the next chapter, Elijah is scared to death of Jezebel, and he goes off onto this, into this time of depression. Elijah does. He's... He's at a low point after a high point. But where this young prophet here in 1 Kings really messes up is in the fact that he had definite instructions and he knew what those were. If God had told him what to do and this guy came along and said, well, God spoke to me too, the younger prophet, he should have said, well, I'll have to wait on God to tell me what you say God's told you. Because God's not told me what you're telling me now. God's told you. A big lesson here. If God tells you something in His Word, don't let anybody talk you out of it. You know, if God said it in His Word, don't let somebody else, you know, come along and try to tell you out of it. Uh, talk you out of it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had a good one on this. There was an emotionally disturbed man who told Spurgeon that God had instructed him to preach in Spurgeon's place the following week at the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle. And Spurgeon finally said, well, that's fine. When God tells me what he's told you, I'll turn the pulpit over to you. <laughs> that's what this young guy should have said. Uh, folks, just because somebody comes to you in the name of the Lord and tells you that they're a Christian just like you, but they want you to compromise something God has said to you in His Word, don't believe them. They're being a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, back to the text here. They sit down to eat. God gives a true word to the older prophet, true to what? God said the younger prophet is killed on his way home. But by the fact that the lion doesn't attack further and eat the man or the donkey is a witness to this 
older prophet and everybody else that this younger man was indeed a prophet of God. God preserves his dead body. And through that, it becomes apparent that the older, uh, to the older prophet that what the younger prophet said about Bethel is definitely going to come to pass. And I want you to notice how the chapter closes. Despite all that Jeroboam had seen and experienced, guess what? He's not changed one bit. That's a testimony right there that seeing and experiencing miracles in and of itself will not make a believer out of anybody. Think of all the miracles that the people saw uh, conducted in the ministry of Jesus, but most of them turned away and would not believe Him and would not come to faith in Him despite everything they'd seen and everything they'd witnessed. In fact, some of the Jewish religious leaders became all the more determined to put Jesus to death despite the miracles that they saw Jesus performing. So see, again, seeing miracles doesn't in and of itself necessarily means somebody's going to uh, be changed. The chapter ends and Jeroboam is just right back in his steadfast refusal to obey God. And he's an idolatrous man. It, it, what's it say of him? Verse 33, Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways but once more appointed priests for the high places for all so, from all sorts of people, anybody who wanted to become a priest. He consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. He's witnessed all of this and he's still unchanged. Hard-hearted. I want to give you some lessons. God calls upon His people to faithfully proclaim His message even when it's not popular. God calls upon His people to faithfully proclaim His message even when it's not popular. God's servants must never shrink back from speaking His word. Folks, we won't do anybody any good whatsoever by telling them what they want to hear instead of telling them what they need to hear. Secondly, God's servants must never suppose that the message they're charged to deliver will always be well received. And then thirdly, God's word must never be compromised. Even a prophet of God is expected to obey. Folks, it should have been a powerful witness to Jeroboam that even God's prophet did not get a free pass. God took this young prophet's life because... He listened to the older prophet instead of following the commands from God that he had received. And again, Jeroboam would have witnessed all this and known all this. 
Here was, here was God's prophet who had confronted him. And even this guy, a true prophet, did not get a free pass. Disobedience costed him his life. Any questions? Any comments? The prophet's name was never... We're not told. We're not told. No. Not told. You know, some even make the comment. Um, some even make the comment by the lion not attacking the donkey or eat, finishing eating the man. The lion had apparently <laughs> God had made it clear to the lion he's standing there, not. And so, even wild beasts obeying what God has instructed them to do, whereas a prophet of God who's walked with God didn't do what God told him to do. So, also a lesson from wild beasts who obey God. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you asked about him being nameless, but his name is the man of God, and he still died. Yeah. He still was the man of God, even though he disobeyed. I just, that's just... Sure. We're just, we're not given a name like Elijah or Elisha or something like that, but he's a faithful man of God, except in that one regard. Um, boy, that's a testimony to us, isn't it? I mean, here, again, here was a true prophet. And he knew what he should have done, but he didn't. And it cost him his life. What's that say to people today? Maybe even people in the church who are just kind of careless or flippant about obedience. That, oh, you know, I've obeyed 95% of stuff. I, I'm okay. No. God doesn't grade on the curve, does He? He expects us to do what He says. At a point in time, uh, probably we'll get what we deserve, some of us. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what did Paul tell the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper? The way they were mistreating the Lord's Supper. He said, that's the reason some of you are sick. And some of you have even died. God had disciplined them. We don't get away with sin. Right? Obedience matters. <clears throat>